Hey everyone, and welcome to episode six now of the Wilson Extension. Um, if you've made it this far with me, I just want to say thank you, and I'm grateful for you. Thank you for your support, and yeah, I rejoice in our virtual fellowship that we can share. Um, and I'm just really grateful to God that this podcast is an encouragement for you. In the Gospel of Mark, um, chapter 10, and briefly seen elsewhere in the Gospels as well, there is this scene that comes up where John and James, two disciples to Christ and also the sons of Zebedee, ask Jesus if they can sit on his right and left hand side in glory. Now, without going into too much detail on what surrounds that glory, it needs to be said that in that moment, all those two disciples could think about were two things, kingship and power. In reality, though, Christ actually promised them just prior to that moment that they asked that question, that while those who follow him will gain hundredfold in a spiritual sense, they will also gain persecution. This would be why just after the two ask him this question, that Jesus would reply by asking them if they could drink the, quote, cup he was drinking and be baptized into the baptism that he was to be baptized. Now, by saying this, Christ is simply asking, are you willing to go through with suffering for this little while for my sake? Put in other words, followers of Christ will endure suffering in some way, shape, or form as they await the return of Christ, as they groan for his return, just as the earth groans for restoration. We understand this when we don't see God divinely intervene or supernaturally intervene on that one illness. Or maybe it's when there's no interruption to a, to a worldwide pandemic, when thousands of people are being wiped out. We feel that pain, that suffering, when those whom we love might turn on us because of our love and devotion for Christ. But it's not always external either. See, suffering is very real at times when you in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, discipline your body and keep it under control lest you disqualify yourself in your proclaiming of Christ to others. Now, most of us hear these words and shudder. Why? Because we do not enjoy pain. I immediately think back to my college hockey days when these guys who were twice my size would knock me like a doll into the boards as hard as they could. Like that was painful. And it took every inch of self-control at times to embrace the hit from the opponent. It took every single bit of control within me because that didn't sound fun to me. See, suffering and persecution don't sound enjoyable to us. And the thing is, and obviously, they're not. And in fact, scripture never actually teaches us that they are. See, what God's word does teach us, though, is that our suffering and pain 
and persecution here on this unrestored earth is, in fact, valuable. Now, if it didn't take 20 extra minutes, I would love to walk us through a list of examples that, did, that do show us this. But for the sake of keeping this podcast under 30 minutes, I'd love to show us one example. And actually, we're going to stay in this one example for quite some time because for a little bit at least, the Wilson Extension is going to stay and walk through the book of Philippians. See, the book of Philippians is the ideal book of teaching us the value of suffering. And the reason for this is because the writer of this book or letter, the Apostle Paul, was, as you might guess, going through great suffering of his own while he wrote the letter. See, Paul was arrested multiple times, all of which can be found in the New Testament book of Acts. And in chapter 28 of that book, we see him arrested in Rome. Now, while there's no complete, complete agreement on it, it does appear likely that Paul wrote this book during that very imprisonment. And this doesn't exactly seem like it's that, that big of a deal at first. I mean, many books are written in a time of persecution and suffering. Off the top of our heads, we might be able to think of the Diary of Anne Frank, for instance. And that's a great book and a terrific example. Likewise, I've seen many posts from others about how circumstances like the one we are in right now always seems to produce more authors and incredibly great thinkers. But there's one reason in specific why the fact that Paul is writing this letter from prison and in a time of suffering is so incredibly significant for us. See, normally you might expect a letter written under those circumstances to be pretty difficult to read. You might expect it to be sad or despairing or heart-wrenching, but Philippians' theme is actually the complete opposite. See, Paul doesn't write about hopelessness or despair. Instead, Paul writes of joy and he writes of unity, both of which stem from Christ. See, those three things, joy, unity, and Christ, in the midst of suffering, is what Paul focuses on on this incredible letter. Philippians teaches us the value of pain in that it can bring us back to realizing that there is nothing other than Christ that will truly or fully satisfy us. As we read through this letter, we are going to be reminded that if we have Christ, we ultimately, ultimately have everything that we truly need. And if we don't have Christ, that we don't truly, truly have anything. And I would argue that we always need to be reminded of this. See, if you are like me, it can be easy to kind of sulk in our anxiety and sadness and pain at times. And there's nothing exactly wrong with understanding our suffering and our pain. In fact, it's such a crucial thing to acknowledge the reality of pain and suffering and to actually understand it. And so don't get me wrong. That's not what Philippians teaches us. It doesn't teach us to pretend that pain and suffering are not real. But what it does teach us is that suffering is not all that is real. 
I brought up earlier how Jesus had told his disciples that those who gave everything to follow him would gain so much spiritually. Listen to what Mark actually documents Jesus saying. In chapter 10 of Mark's gospel, verses 29 to 30, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. See, Jesus is super upfront right there. He says there will be suffering, but look at what he also promises as a reality, the gain of the family of God. See, suffering is real. Jesus doesn't deny that there, but the gain of spiritual brothers and sisters and mothers and children all under one father is also very much an actuality. See, I think we can forget that there are many different realities in our lives at times. We might be suffering in some form or way, but at the same time, there is something else that is super, super real, that we have Christ and that we have unity in Christ. We have family because of Christ. In the Gospels, there's a scene where Jesus is teaching a crowd and his disciples when all of a sudden this man comes up and tells Christ that his immediate earthly family has come looking for him. And Matthew goes on to record this. But he replied, as Jesus replied, to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, almost like he's pointing to them, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. In other words, those who do the will of God, those who devote their lives to seeking Christ, are in the family of God. Christ has given us himself and each other, and this is cause for us to rejoice and have joy no matter what is happening to us. See, Paul realized what he had in Christ and he cherished it. Now make no mistake, he knew of his current circumstances and all that they brought with them, but he also knew the reality of Jesus, and he knew the reality of the fellowship that he got to experience with others because of Jesus. We ultimately see this as we understand the background of Paul's loving relationship with those whom he was writing to. See, the book of Philippians was actually addressed to the church that Paul established in the city of Philippi within the region of Macedonia, which is current-day northeastern Greece. His establishment of this church can actually be found in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Now, Paul had established this church during his second missionary journey and, and visited it twice during his third journey. The church did need some pastoral reminders. I mean, the city had prided itself on being a Roman colony. And so Paul does need to remind them sometimes that they are first citizens of heaven before being a citizen of any location here on earth. But as I said, Paul experienced a very strong and loving fellowship with this church. Speaking of it in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given 
among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. He goes on to discuss their givings in further detail in chapter 11 of that same letter, letter of 2 Corinthians. And then also actually in the book that we're going to study, uh, chapter four of the book of Philippians. But the point is on numerous occasions, the church of Philippi sent gifts and help to Paul, all of which Paul lovingly received. Now it needs to be asked right here, why did they do this? Was it out of force by Paul? Was it simply a deal that Paul made with a church when he planted it? No, instead this was done out of mutual compassion and unity, which were only made possible through the unifying person of Jesus Christ. And see, in the midst of a time of suffering, these two things, unity and Christ, pushed Paul into one third and final main theme that we see in his letter to the Philippians. Joy. Joy. Not happiness, but joy. See, happiness is circumstantial. It depends on what is happening to us in a current moment, but not joy. See, joy does not depend on circumstances, but on relationship. Relationship first and foremost with our great and immutable Christ, which produces in turn relationship with others who are also in Christ. Relationship with those who, as we discussed, are in the family of God. Two very, very real things. See, Paul had joy. Why? Because he had Christ. And because he had Christ, he had fellowship and unity with his spiritual brothers and sisters in the family of God. And that is what we are going to dive into together in the upcoming however many podcasts as we cover the book of Philippians together, a book that scholar J. Vernon McGee would actually call the secret of joy. We're promised suffering in the here and the now, but Christ also promises something else that only he can give if we turn to him in the midst of it. And those are joy and unity. What does it look like to embrace all of this in our lives in a way that is glorifying to God? That'll be our goal as we'll, that we'll strive for together. I hope that you can join with me. But until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. God bless you.